our next guest in the show, who is an alumni of the Women's Leadership Challenge. Uh, Olivia came into the program and she had just started her own political consulting firm. And that was uh, about a year ago. And I was so delighted to see her expand her firm uh, to consult with multiple candidates in competitive districts, start to hire under her. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed and impressed by her as I know you will be a little bit more about her. She's a seasoned strategist. She combines her experience, vast experience in political campaigns and nonprofits to provide outstanding consultation to her clients, which is mostly on fundraising, on voter outreach, on messaging, on all these different things it takes to run a campaign. She's a veteran of uh, all different campaigns all over the country. She's worked alongside many influential policymakers, political strategists, and thought leaders to successfully execute grassroots and grass tops campaigns and has been instrumental in raising millions of dollars for candidates, PACs, and other orgs throughout the country. As a former campaign and nonprofit professional, Olivia understands and relates to the very fast-paced political environment and is committed to going the extra mile to support her clients' needs. She graduated with a degree in, a degree in psychology of human behavior and a minor in poli-sci and sociology from the University of the Ozarks in Clarksville. Um, Arkansas. Olivia, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Excited to see you. Yeah. So based on what you've heard so far, anything, you know, that you felt like, you know, these are two of your candidates that you've been supporting. Anything mm -hmm. you feel like either of them left out that you think is incredibly important to highlight about um, either of them? Yeah, I mean, I think they both spoke eloquently about their themselves, their election, and the challenges of uh, that they're running up against in their districts. Um, you know, I think the biggest challenge right now for everyone that's running is we're in the midterms, and then um, and next year we're in the off off election year. Um, so it's going to be important to focus on that voter turnout and building out the infrastructure needed to be successful um, in these elections. Olivia, what's the name of your business now? It's Logan Strategies, right? Logan Strategic Solutions. Logan Strategic Solutions. Okay, so let's take, and Olivia has new puppies, which is I'm sure who's making noise right now. <laughs> she is a, a, a dog lover, if I'm correct. Yeah. Uh, dog mom. So I, I want to get some intel on you on the Senate seats. So we saw that um, that map earlier. Zach, if you are able to bring that back up. If not, we saw that some of the um, that the Georgia Senate race where Raphael Warnock is running against Herschel Walker, former NFL player who also paid for an abortion and claims to be as a running on an anti-choice stance. I guess he just will pay for them, but doesn't think women should get them. Um, he is running against, uh, so he is also a former NFL player. Um, and Raphael Warnock is one of the ones that I talked about in terms of, you know, being part of the, the blue wave in Georgia. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on where Warnock stands and, uh, yeah, in this election. You know, I want to be cautiously optimistic, but I mean, we've seen in other states like Alabama um, when. They pull people from the NFL and football because it's a whole different separate culture in the South, um, how that works in elections. Um, 
I would love to see him get reelected. I don't know how it's going to go. Um, I, I feel like the right people are rallying on Warnock's behalf. Um, but I mean, Georgia's a tricky state um, and they also just went through redistricting. So we don't, it's gonna be close, but I, I feel cautiously optimistic. And what what do you think? What issues matter most to Georgia voters? Are they the ones that I piloted so far, or what's? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of concern around inflation and job creation, um, healthcare, um, education, like our bread and butter issues that are not being paid attention to by other um, uh, elected officials that are currently in office. So let's let's actually go that way for a second. Why does everybody think that Republicans are better at the economy? So I think it's a messaging thing. I think Democrats have really struggled to formulate a message around the economy that is strong. And Republicans have dominated this for a decade or more even. And a lot of times their policies they, they put strangleholds on small business owners um, and people that want to just be independent and self-employed. Um, and they, they legislate more towards um, supporting corporations. And uh, they don't think about people who need an affordable living wage. They don't think about people who struggle to afford their health care or have a family of four and have two working parents and can't um, make ends meet or they are barely making ends meet. Um, and so I think we need to start messaging around that. Like we, some people have started messaging around that, but it's not strong enough, it's not loud enough. And I think it's important to point out that, you know, that Republicans are really about less taxes for the rich and hoping that less taxes for the rich have a trickle down effect. But we have not seen no, that. There no. is no trickle down effect. There is. People, People don't want to consolidate their own wealth. Right. And hold it for themselves. I'll never forget when um, one of my, uh, I have to say a shout out to Michael Hammond, my dad's golf buddy. And he said, you know, he said, Sam, this was the election between Hillary and Trump. He said, I'm voting for Hillary. He goes, I don't really want to. I don't like her. He mm -hmm. said, but ultimately, Trump is a scumbag. And do mm -hmm. like, if you vote for Trump, all you care about is making your moat even bigger. And he's like, that, that is what it comes down to. Do you want to be richer? Do you care about social issues more? Or do you want to be a richer person? And, you know, that's about, you know, higher, it's, it's, it's tax cuts among the wealthy. It's not actually being better within the economy. Um, and the fact that, you know, inflation has to do a lot with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which is beyond our control with the COVID-19 pandemic, and also that oil and large corporations are making more profits. And if anything, we need to tax corporations, we need to tax the rich, and we need to tax oil companies and reduce their profits so it will be less for ours. And that's what Democrats are advocating for. Yeah. And I mean, my thing is like, get these top one percenters paying their fair share. Because even if it was just, even if they did that, it would be better than what we're 
doing now. Yeah, I have a friend who uh, is founder of a, a tech company, and he said, I'm the only rich guy that's like, he's a Democrat, going, please take more of my money. He's like, how much money can you possibly need? I, you know, this company is valued in the hundreds of millions. Like, why, why do I need all this money? Like, please take it. <laughs> so this brings up something really interesting. Um, in 2014, I was, I had just graduated um, college and I was working on my first campaign and we were kind of, I was part of the coordinated, so we were dabbling in a little bit of everything. So the main priority was to try to protect the Senate seat in Arkansas and then, um, we also were trying to pass a minimum wage increase on the ballot and we did and they have actually passed two more since then i believe yeah. at least one um but i'm pretty sure there's been two and i was going around the mall asking people to sign the petition and i didn't want to walk up to this guy because he looked very republican and he was dressed in high fashion had a rolex and like, he yeah. saw me getting these people to sign and he walked up to me and he's like, what's that for? And I was like, well, it's a petition to increase the minimum wage. Um, we would do it in moderation. Um, so uh, I don't know, how, how do you feel about that? He's like, oh my gosh, I have, I make almost $3 million an hour running this Fortune 500 company an and hour? my employees can't even like barely afford, like I want to give them more money. This would be fantastic. And he signed it and I was like, man, I prejudged this guy based on what he looked like. And he's actually like on our side. About there are some people that have goals. Yeah. And so, uh, but yeah, like he was dripping with wealth. And I just was like, oh no, I'm not talking to this person. Be one of those people that wants to consolidate it and keep it for himself. <laughs> and, we, and you know, and then and that's our lesson too, right? As Democrats, is that we can't just just like me and the you know the guy walking into the Hillary's office being like, is that guy the wrong place? Like we can't make assumptions either, right? And we have to right. to to really, I think, get those people as advocates and pioneers. And I was joking with my dad that he should start golfers against Trump. Uh, I was like, Dad, come on, like start a boycott of all the Trump courses. You can you can start a Facebook group. My dad doesn't even know how to use Facebook, but I thought it would have been good. Um, but yeah, like in terms of the economy, 16 years under Clinton Obama, 33.8 million jobs were created. 18 months under Biden, 9.6 million jobs were created. And 16 years under Bush and Trump, 1.9 million jobs were created. So basically five times as many Biden jobs as the last three GOP people combined. So, you know, the jobs growth is much higher uh, under under Democrats. It's not higher under Republicans at all. Um, right. so I, I don't under, I just don't understand that people think that the, the Republicans are better at the economy. I, I, I honestly, as I said earlier, I think it's a messaging thing. Like we, we have to step up to the plate and make our messaging more concise around the economy. Um, I think the last person that ever really did that well was, um, well, I mean, Obama did a good job of uh, like vocalizing it. I'm not so sure that he was had the, the House or the Senate to back him to actually get it done the way that it should have been done. Um, and then Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton, right. Like I said at the beginning of the show, right? Yeah, yeah. 
So just so people know, Democrats decreased federal spending by $550 billion and reduced our deficit by $1.4 trillion in 2022, which was the biggest single year drop in the deficit in American history. So, you know, again, if you're if you're concerned about the economy and you're thinking about the economy, you need to vote for Democrats unless you're making billions of dollars and you want tax cuts. I can't, you know, I, it's like Republicans support tax cuts for the rich. I can't say, but the fact is like, do you really need, do you, do you need to make your moat any bigger? You know, like how many, how many houses do you need? How many boats do you need? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Go ahead. I, I had an interesting conversation with um, a former Republican uh, a couple days ago, and she's like, it's amazing how much it's changed. Like the party has changed. Like it used to be we had a fundamental disagreement about how tax dollars are spent, but now we're like disagreeing on who qualifies to be a person with full rights in this country. Maybe a segue for the next topic. <laughs> yeah, speaking of fiscal conservatism again, like, you know, beyond kids being born that then end up on the welfare system, the other irony is like that, like, Republicans waste so much time and money and energy doing things like transgender bans and, you know, and regulating abortion. It's like, we have serious problems in this country. Like our education system sucks. It's terrible. We yeah. have massive amounts of poverty. There's a lot of things that need to be done in this country. And you're spending your attention trying to make sure that someone who's transgender can or can't use the bathroom or play women's sports. Like go deal with real issues. It's such bullshit. Yeah. Well, and it's amazing. Like as long as I've been involved in politics and I've listened to my parents and grandparents talk about politics, the issues haven't changed, but society keeps evolving mm. and they're not ready for that evolution because they came and deal with the issues of the past. Mm, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. What about the Pennsylvania race? Um, John Fetterman there is standing, a Democratic candidate, is standing off against Dr. Oz, who apparently you were saying doesn't even live in the district. So can you talk about, a little bit about how Fetterman stands and, you know, what issues are at stake in Pennsylvania? Yeah, so um, I've been keeping up with this race because um, I have family that live in Philadelphia. I also was uh, in Pennsylvania for 2016 for Hillary. Um, and Fetterman was actually, at the time, he ran in a primary against Katie McGinty for the Senate, um, and uh, Katie got the nomination, but then um, he ran for lieutenant governor, won, um, and now he's running for governor, or, I mean, Senate, my bad, he is running for Senate, um, and... Dr. Oz threw his hat in the ring and he technically lives in the um, Philadelphia suburbs of New Jersey. So he's not even in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, and then recently he's had some scandals come out um, about uh, his scientific research studies that he ran that involved um, testing on puppies um that were not ethical so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes things up um pennsylvania is a pretty um purple state um you pretty much have uh harrisburg 
um, which is the capital, then you have Philadelphia, and then it, you have Pittsburgh, and then everything in between is Pennsylvania, and it's very, um, for the most part, pretty conservative or um, moderate. So I, I'm really interested to see how things shake out. I feel cautiously optimistic um, about Fetterman. Uh, I think it is a challenge for somebody who doesn't even live in the state that they want to represent to get the nomination. Um, we'll just see how the voters feel about that though. Mm. So another one of your candidates, Kate Turner in Kentucky, is running with a pro-choice messaging, but not the kind of pro-choice messaging you might think. So mm -hmm. I wonder if you could dive a little bit into, you know, you know, it seems unheard of to run on pro-choice in Kentucky. How yeah. are you messaging that? What's going on there? So um, her big thing is right now, because she's in her mid-30s, but she also like is a consultant, works for herself. Um, highly accomplished. She wants to put off having a family for right now. And so she wants to undergo, she, she's undergone IVF um, in another state because of concerns around the way that the abortion ban in Kentucky is um, messaged. Um, it's very ambiguous um, and potentially impacts um, people's ability to have and plan families. Um, and that is another choice outside of abortion that falls under that umbrella. And a lot of people also don't understand the process of IVF and how that is impacted under the abortion ban. Um, and when she goes door to door or- yeah, how, how is, can you explain the signs? Like how is that impacted under the abortion ban? So um, a lot of times in IVF, like you're selecting the best um, embryo to, to work with. And so like at that time you're picking who's viable and who's not. So at that time, like, are you, are you killing a baby at that? If you're choosing a different embryo versus, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the law doesn't explicitly say that um, IVF is banned, but I think like in a gray space, if a doctor felt uncomfortable, they'd be like, Hey, we can't do this. You're, we, we can't, it's not safe for us to be able to do this. Um, and so I think that message is really hitting home to, um, families that have, that want to expand. Um, but can't right now. And so they want to make and plan other options and they may not be able to do that in the state of Kentucky or other states that have other bans as well. Um, and so she's really done a good job of campaigning on this issue and making it universal. Um, and both Democrats, Republicans, and independents have responded really well to her. That's fantastic to see that people are responding well to that. Uh, let's go with another candidate. Jessica Katzenmeyer is running for Wisconsin State Senate, District 5. If elected, she would be the first openly transgender woman to hold the seat. What's most important about her race? Yeah, so um, Wisconsin also had a trigger ban go into effect. Um, they have a Democratic governor. 
Um, but they need a state legislature that can back his veto of the abortion ban there. Um, and so her seat is one of the targeted seats to protect the governor's veto so that they no longer have an abortion ban. Mm. So basically, essentially, the the governor's veto vetoes this, you know, terrible um, abortion ban, and we need those seats as Democrats to protect that veto. Yes. Uh, okay. Well, lastly, what about January 6th? You know, we had these January 6th committee hearings where I think it became incredibly clear that Trump is the, you know, <coughs> the architect behind, uh, behind the insurrection and mm -hmm. was recently indicted. Uh, let's see if he actually decides to, was he indicted or he was subpoenaed? Excuse me. He was subpoenaed. He was subpoenaed. Yeah. He was subpoenaed. Uh, let's see if he actually talks because he will incriminate himself. So I hope he does. Uh, <laughs> but do you think that, you know, and, th and then the other aspect of that is that we have a lot of people running for election all on the Republican side who deny the election and mm -hmm. say that, you know, believe in the great lie, which was the whole reason that the insurrection happened in the first place was Donald Trump saying this is an illegitimate election. You can't, you know, you can't confirm Biden. He's not the real president. I'm the real president. Do you think people are voting at all based upon the January 6th hearings or, you know, how much has that impacted swing voters? So it was really interesting at the start of the election cycle. It was a really hot topic. Um, and it does come up. I'm not saying that it doesn't, but it's definitely um, a lot of people have shifted, of course, to the economic concerns. Um, but I do think that there is a certain constituency that is still paying attention to um, the January 6th hearings. Um, and I actually think it's more of the election deniers more so than the ones that actually like believe the results of the election. Um, it does, it, it definitely, I think there will be some people that turn out and vote because they do not, um, they feel one way or the other about January 6th. But when you say election deniers are paying more attention in like in what way? So I think, a lot of the media that they consume because there is no substance on that side of the aisle right now as far as um, what these elected officials and candidates are running on. Um, they get fed with January 6th, like the, the, the election was rigged and that's it. They go off of what they hear. Um, and um, I think that type of brainwashing can be very difficult to overcome. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll, we'll see how that goes this cycle. Yeah, we're still, I mean, I really wish that YouTube and Facebook and tech companies would take accountability for the fact that, mm -hmm. you know, they, they send people down to rabbit holes that you, you click on one thing saying the election is rigged and the next video you're fed, frankly, should be why the election was not rigged. But they want you to click on it. And if you see why the election was not rigged, that's not what you want to hear. You want confirmation bias from what you already believe. So they send you further and further down these rabbit holes of conspiracy theorists. It's like, you know, starting at light and then all of a sudden you're in QAnon. So, you know, I really wish, 
I wish that tech companies would take responsibility and say, and even for Democrats, like, you know what? Mm -hmm. Fine, like, show me a Fox News clip after I read MSNBC. Like, I would love to see right. it. Like, I want to hear alternative viewpoints as well. And yet we are in these, you know, this information bubble that just you start here and you end up here. And especially as we defriend, you know, relatives and friends who are not the same political views as us from Facebook and whatever or Twitter, then we even we hear even less and we're in our own echo chambers. Oh, yeah. Well, and I've gotten to the point like I used to be on social media all the time in junior high and high school. And then after my first like two or three elections, I kind of just I got social media fatigue because of all the information or disinformation that gets spread through these channels. And there was one point in time, I don't know if Twitter is still doing this, but like someone would post something that was extremely biased and then they would have like a notation at the bottom of the tweet or the image or whatever that would like highlight that this is um, embellished. Like here's right. the truth. And like, I would be okay with that if more platforms would also um, highlight that, okay, we're taking this to like the nth degree versus like actually sharing real viable information. Right. So uh, because we, you know, this has been a really long show, I want to go towards your business. What types of clients do you serve? What services do you provide? Mm -hmm. tell, us, tell us a little bit more about Logan um, Strategic Consulting. Solutions. Yeah. Logan, Logan Strategic Solutions, uh, which was a, a at birth when I had you in my class. So yeah. tell us about the types of clients you serve. Obviously these two women on the show are examples and what kind of services do you provide? So right now, like in the past, I have done all levels of government from the federal all the way down to local. Um, and then I've also done PACs and organizations, but right now my main focus is actually the state, state ledge, um, especially since um, we're watching a lot of uh, federal legislation and legislation from the Supreme Court kick things back to the states. It's going to be really crucial for us right. to pick up the state ledges. Um, and I have been working in politics for almost 14 years now, roughly. And um, over and over and over again, I hear Democrats talking about how, oh, we need to build a bench, but no one's actually proactively building a bench. And then there are certain organizations that come in and try to do it, but they don't have either the capacity or the experience. And so they really need the support to be able to do that. And so- Can you explain to people if they don't understand what, what does building a bench mean? Yeah, so when, when I talk about building a bench, um, the, the Republicans did this in the early 2000s. Um, they went in and particularly the Koch brothers um, and bought school board seats. And then they worked their way up from the school board and went to like municipalities. Um, so your mayoral and city council offices. Then they went to the state ledge. And then they went to statewide offices and then they took the federal offices and they did it. They, they played the long game and organized everything from that very, very grassroots level 
and just went all the way to the top. Mm. We have a tendency to go for the glamour campaigns. Mm. So like anyone that gets on MSNBC or CNN and mm. delivers political platitudes that we love hearing, but they can't actually act on it. Um, and we're just like, yeah, we're gonna support this person and give them all the money. And it's like, well, follow what they've actually done and been able to do. And then we forget about everything else under that level of government. Um, and that's why we're struggling. And that's why we've fallen behind in so many other states. And that's why certain states that used to be purple are now like being deemed red. But really, it's we need to get back to the fundamentals of organizing um, at the grassroots. Yeah. Um, it's really, it's, I'm, I'm reading this book, How Change Happens by, uh, I think it's Janet Crutch, or Leslie Crutchfield. And she mm -hmm. talks basically about how all successful movements, they start at the state level. They don't start mm -hmm. at the top. They start local grassroots. They have, you know, organizers that are organizing not just in election years, but all the time. And that that makes such a difference. And, you know, that the movements that just try to target the top don't, they're not sustainable. They don't have the impact that, and she talks about gun control as being one of them, that yeah. you know, they haven't focused on a state-by-state -state strategy, whereas the NRA has really, really strong state chapters that are, you know, pivotal to the NRA winning the big wins. Uh, and, you know, I think building the bench and your work, so, you know, so you mostly, when you say you work with down-ballot candidates, you're talking about state house, you're talking about, um, uh, state Senate, is that correct? So I do state, predominantly state house and state Senate, but then I will also work with mayoral and city council and school board races um, as well. Um, eventually I'll go back to the statewides and the federals, but right now it's so important to, to focus on these races. And what services do you provide, Olivia? So predominantly, I focus on the fundraising piece, especially this early in the 2023 cycle. Um, I do also um, do general consulting, though, so I can uh, develop field plans and voter outreach plans. Um, we also do communications plans. Um, I have a network of people that I can connect other candidates to for digital services. Um, let's see, what else? I mean, that's pretty much it. I am going to start doing candidate trainings outside of actually providing services um, for people that may or may not um, be able to afford uh, um, having direct service. Um, so they can come in and join training sessions at a lower cost. Um, I know what's unique about the work that I'm about to do in Virginia is I'm working through a, an organization um, called Commonwealth Forward, um, and they are um, having me work with their endorsed candidates. Um, and so it helps other candidates that wouldn't be able to afford me off the bat 
um, to be able to have the kind of service to run an effective campaign. Um, and so essentially Commonwealth Forward pays me to work with them. That's not always the case in other states. Um, some states will also have the House or Senate caucuses um, provide um, support. And so they'll pay for it as an in-kind and it'll come from the House or Senate caucus. Um, but I mean, a lot of these states are not that organized. Um, you usually find that in the more purple states. Um, mm -hmm. Everywhere else, it's kind of just hit or miss whether or not candidates have the right support. How can people contact you if they're interested in your services? Yeah, so um, my email is um, olivia at logan-strategies.com. Um, we are working on getting the website up and running, but it will be www.logan-strategies.com. And I will announce it on all my social media platforms once it is up and running. Awesome, Olivia. Yeah. Lastly, if you could tell people, you know, a little bit about your experience with the Women's Leadership Challenge, especially as to how it helped you grow your business, that would be... Yeah, definitely. So um, it was really funny. I actually found you through a mutual friend who we did campaign work together. Um, and... I watched your podcasts that were conveniently on right now. And then I was like, okay, I need to know more about this. Program. And now you're a guest. Look at this. Now I'm a guest. And so I clicked on your Facebook and I saw the Women's Leadership Challenge. And I was like, I'm just starting my business. I mean, this might be worth it. I mean, the podcast was good. Obviously, the training will be good. So um, I filled out the form and then... We had a phone call and then I was like, all right, I'm in. Um, and it was super helpful in terms of being able to make the decision. I was kind of just flying by the seat of my pants before. Mm -hmm. um, and I did have business partners and it gave me like the guidance to be able to separate from that, effectively start another business and then grow it and actually feel confident in growing it. And then not to mention, like we have a supportive network of women and just um, that have been wonderful. Um, and it's also nice to be able to connect with them outside of the leadership challenge um, and talk one-on-one. -on -one, um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just a really, it's so hard to find supportive women leadership organizations. And I think that's why a lot of people, a lot of women don't go into business um, or they find it really difficult to figure out where to start because they don't have an opportunity like this to be able to do that. Awesome. Well, thank you, Olivia. And Olivia is in the extension mastermind, leadership mastermind that we have as an option when people finish the program. Olivia, I really want to thank you so much for coming on Samantha Politics tonight. You know, delighted to have you as a guest. You're such a savvy political strategist. And it's really cool to see these women and hear from them that you have supported um, to run. So I wish you the best on November 8th with your all of your candidates who I know are all in very competitive district and you've worked really, really hard to elect them. So fingers crossed. 
if you are interested in running for office, you are running for office, you need help with fundraising, you need help with strategy, you need help with field, contact Olivia. She is the best. She really, really, really is terrific. So Olivia, thank you so much for coming on Samantha Politics. Thank you for having me. Have a great night. You know, November 8th is coming up. As people said, this is the last stretch. Donate, donate, donate. Volunteer. Go knock on doors. If you are a Democrat, go to Democrats.org to sign up and to see volunteer opportunities. Knocking on doors really, really does work. And this last stretch really makes the last bit of difference. And go beyond those people that you see on MSNBC, on CNN, on Fox. Go to those local candidates. You could tell, hearing from Susanna, they really need our support, but they're often overshadowed by congressional races, which get more of the money and the glamour and the PR. But yet, as Olivia was saying, building that bench is so important because the state senators become the congresspersons, become the senators, become the vice presidential nominees. Uh, you know, it, it, it really is a line. Even school level PTO is a breeding ground for future congresspersons, for future senators, for future attorneys generals of a state. So, you know, really volunteer for those local candidates. If you're somebody that says, I don't do politics, well, I go to my friend Michael Sani, who runs something called Bite the Ballot in the UK. And he says, if you don't do politics, Politics will do you. Politics is embedded in all of our lives. We cannot ignore it. It affects whether you get your bill paid for when you go to the hospital. It affects whether you have clean water or clean air. It affects your job opportunities. It affects your, you know, being able to get an abortion. It affects your education. It affects sex education. I mean, there's so many things that politics does affect within your lives. And yet people seem to know more about fantasy football or, you know, uh, sports sports statistics than they do about their congressperson. So also get educated before you vote. Do your research, figure out what's going on, see if you can vote early. A lot of places now have voting early so you can go in and vote early before the election, but do not miss these elections on November 8th. If you liked this episode, please share it with your social media on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, I don't care, whatever you're on, TikTok, please share this episode. We are also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So if you're listening to this on YouTube, please subscribe to us and give us that five-star rating on uh, Spotify and Apple so that people can find us and are able to hear this content and coverage. There's a lot of right-wing YouTubers out there, especially women. That's part of why I started this show because there were very few on the left that were covering politics that are women on YouTube. And I, you know, I, I need your help to get these voices out there. I cannot do this alone. So I'm asking you to help me and to help these amazing women running for office. Lastly, you can really show your support by becoming a member on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Politics, S-A-M-A-N-T-H-R-O, and then the word politics for as little as $3 a month to support our production costs, to support all of the time and research and energy that goes into the producing this show. I also wanna thank Zach at Stream Inspectors. The Every time I say, hey Zach, can you put up that slide? Zach has been doing this show with me for two years. Stream Inspectors are the leaders in live stream production. If you want a really cool show like this, look up Stream Inspectors. Maybe you can even get me to come host it for you. Depends on the topic but we can work that out. But look up Stream Inspectors. I think that's it for tonight. Uh, you know, I'm excited to see what happens on November 8th, and we'll see you on the next episode of Samantha Politics. 
Thanks again for listening and good night.